in today's show, we're finishing off our Summer League recap with the Central Division. Detroit Pistons, Indiana Pacers, the Cavs, the Bulls, and the Bucks. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Fangio Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit Fangio.com slash Locked On today to get started. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. I said that you can find me on Twitter, as always, at redrock underscore b-ball, but you can't. And I'll tell you why you can't, because I've been shadow banned, even though I hate that term. If you search Josh Lloyd on Twitter, it just doesn't come up. You have to, like, fully type out the handle to find me. And I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess it's because I called the free speech absolutist a wanker. And then I got banned. Yeah, you know, I just don't appear in searches anymore. So, we'll see what happens. And because of what I have to do for work, I need to be on Twitter and I need access to TweetDeck, which apparently is going behind the subscription wall. So I'm going to try and see what happens with the fake verified badge and see if that gets me back into being able to be searched after calling him a wanker because he's a wanker. Anyway, we're going to talk about uh, Summer League and these final five teams. Some just jam-packed full of prospects. Some not so much. We've got stuff to talk about though. So warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> Let's talk about the derelict franchise, the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls weren't a particularly interesting summer league team, but there was one player who really stood out for them, and that was Javon Freeman Liberty, 23-year-old shooting guard who played 30 minutes a night, played, scored 21 points a game, four and a half assists, shot 46% from three, got a block a game. And of course, the Bulls then let him go to the Toronto Raptors because they're an unserious franchise. They decided to um, give Ayodesumu a outsized contract after re-signing or after signing Javon Carter. Um, I don't really get it. I don't know what they, why they even didn't give Freeman Liberty a two-way deal, who's now again in Toronto on a two, two-way deal. Doesn't make any sense. Nothing this franchise does generally makes sense. So Freeman Liberty was great for them. He dominated. He scored at will. I'm not saying he's going to be a strong NBA player. He probably isn't. But there's enough there as a shooter and scorer that and he holds up okay defensively as a passer. I think he's all right. And now the Toronto Raptors get to take advantage of that. Raptors did a similar thing with Terrence Davis a couple of years ago. I think Davis played for the Nuggets summer league team. And then they and the Raptors signed him off that uh, during, during summer league. So Freeman Liberty, pretty good numbers. Played for the Bulls G League team last season as well. They let him go. One of their other two-way guys is Adama Sonogo, who probably should have been drafted. I thought he looked pretty good. 18-8, 1.4 steals and a block, 66% shooting, played for Connecticut. Big, strong guy with some decent upside. Andre Drummond's not a long-term answer at backup center. We know that. He's you know, fading away in his career. Sonogo's not going to have a huge impact this season, but I think he's a guy that you would look to convert onto a full-time contract. 
I thought he was relatively, not dominant is the wrong word, but relatively strong and solid in his role in Vegas. And I thought that was a, a good find. Now, I'm going to shit on the Bulls for lots of things. Not for that. I thought they did really well with that. Dale and Terry, I, yeah, he, he, looked, he looked bad, I thought. The numbers wouldn't necessarily tell you that he was terrible. 12 and a half points in 29 minutes. That's not great. 22 usage as a second round, top a second year top 20 draft pick. Not great. Five rebounds, 3.6 assists, 1.8 steals, 0.8 blocks. But he shot 34% from the field. 33% on twos. Part of my concern with him in the draft was he's a, a tallish sort of point guard, but extraordinarily low usage. And that just doesn't translate to the NBA as a general rule. And he can't shoot. His defense is okay. He's not dynamic offensively. He's not going to be in the rotation again this season. And as a second round, a second year player, you need to do way more than this in summer league. And he just didn't. I don't know what the point of him is. Justin Lewis, they had on a two-way last season. He had a torn ACL. He didn't play. Um, he's back again on a two-way. He only played 14 minutes a night. He had four and four. Half a block. Like, absolutely nothing that excites me there with him. And then their second-round player, Julian Phillips, from this year's draft. He didn't play initially because the Bulls team couldn't negotiate a contract in time, apparently, even though there's a second-round exemption in the salary cap now. So he missed the first couple of games because, yeah, well done to them. Pick 35, he played 24 minutes, averaged nine points, half a steal, half a block. He shot 44% from three, um, hitting one three a game, which is better than what he did at Tennessee. There is obviously room for wing players on this team, considering they don't have any. Their power forwards and small forwards are DeMar DeRose and Alex Caruso and Patrick Williams. Um, so Phillips might be a rotation guy, but I don't think he's got a robust game in terms of his overall fantasy value or even his overall impact on NBA court. And he didn't... Look, the 44% shooting is nice, but it's in, what, four games? And I just would like for him to do a little bit more or look a little bit better, which is it's okay, though. He's a second-round player in his first year. We're not going to judge him too much on that. But he didn't change my opinion of him wholesale as we uh, as we move forward into the future. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to two. $200. That's right, $200. You bet 20 bucks and you get $200 in bonus bets. Win or lose. That's 200 that you can spend on everything from the money line, over-unders, who will hit the first home run, World Series futures. I'm sure there's like each AL and NL league champions, awards, player awards, NBA futures. It's all there. And you can use those bonus bets to bet all of those things. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. And don't forget to gamble responsibly. Let's look at the Summer League champions, your Cleveland Cavaliers, who were not blessed with a bunch of good prospects. In fact, not a single first round player played on this team. They put together big performances. And there's quite a few things we need to talk about here. I did get a question from a Cavs fan the other day who was maybe drinking the Summer League Kool-Aid a little bit too much. So to that person, here we go. Let's talk Cavs. Sam Merrill, who is signed... He was drafted by the Bucks, I think, two years ago. Um, last pick in the draft in 2020, three years ago. He averaged 20 points. He had five threes a game on 45% shooting. He was just dominating. 24% usage. He was great through the Summer League. He's on the roster. He's not a two-way guy, but 
with Struis, Garland, Levert, Okoro, Mitchell, he's not really going to play very much. And he can be an okay shooter. There's just too many downsides to his game. Evan Mobley's brother, Isaiah Mobley, who, when he was picked at pick 49 last season, well, that's a little bit of a favor to Evan, but I know someone like Sam Vecini, or not someone like Sam Vecini, actually Sam Vecini, was massively in on him as a solid player. And he dominated. I thought that he was one of the best players at the entire summer league. 18, 8, and 4.5 assists stands out as a big man. Power forward center, 4.5 assists. 1.5 blocks and a steal. Shot 49%, only 25 from three. But that's Evan Mobley-ish. Mobley's a good passer, both of them. Look at that. Those numbers are unbelievable. Now, on this team, their backup center situation is never fully... It's not awesome. And I don't know if Mobley's necessarily going to get me. There's no Kevin Love there, obviously, anymore. But they brought in George Yang to be a backup four. Mobley, maybe, maybe he is able to push into a larger role. I, I believe... I'm just going to double-check this. I believe he's still... He was on a two-way last season. I think he might still be on a two-way, which limits his overall upside. But for someone... Yeah, he's still on a two-way. Someone who I was a little bit down on as a draft prospect. You know, their backup set at the moment is um, Damian Jones, so not particularly strong there. I wouldn't be shocked to see him work his way into being a rotation player. I was impressed. And same with Craig Porter. Just another to add to the swathe of Porter Juniors we have in the NBA. Craig Porter Jr., is a guard who's not particularly big. He's 23, but he's an absolute rebounding menace and an unbelievable shot blocker. 12 points, 7 rebounds, 5.3 assists, and 0.8 blocks in 26 minutes as like a 6'2 point guard. We know that players like that, Derek White, become insanely valuable in fantasy if things hit. I don't think that they're necessarily going to hit. He is a two-way guy as well, but probably should have been drafted. Put up some very, very strong numbers here outside of hitting 11% on his threes. It's probably going to be better than that. But that defensive ability, the hustle, the seven rebounds, the five assists, just a name to keep an eye on that probably is going to outstrip being an undrafted player. And then there's Amani Bates, who was picked 49 in the draft. He's still only 19. He's very, very young. Flamed out at Memphis in college, went to Eastern Michigan and put up good scoring numbers on a terrible team with very bad efficiency. And I worried, what else can he do? Well, I was way more impressed with him in Summer League than I thought I would be. There's still a lot to happen here. He averaged 17 points. He hit three threes. He shot 40%. 0.8 steals, 0.8 blocks, six rebounds. All that's fine. But this is what he needs to be good. The ball in his hands, and that is just not going to happen on the Cavs. He's got great size. He's like 6'9", 6'10". Plays as a three, as a four. He's very skinny still, but can he defend? Can he pass? Can you do anything apart apart from take and make tough contested shots? And I still don't know the answer to that. But he was better than I thought he'd be in this scenario. He put up really good numbers. So maybe there's a little bit of hope. I'm definitely not buying it completely at all. I'm not changing my complete evaluation on him. But he did things that were impressive. Luke Travis was a second-round player last season, uh, pick 56, he played 27 minutes and I don't believe he's going to be signed to the roster. I think he's going to be back in Australia or maybe he's over in Europe. I can't remember exactly. 2.2 uh, blocks in his 27 minutes. Defended well, but that's really about it. Khalifa Jop was a second round player last season. He had eight boards in his 17 minutes. And then there is Sharif Cooper who has put up some really good numbers in the G League and scored 13 points in 21 minutes. But we've talked about... We've talked? No, that's not the right word. We've spoken about small point guards and I do like Sharif. I, I think he's too small. I think he's too small. He can score very well at the G League level. He's a very good passer. He's a very smart player. 
but I just don't think he's going to be over, uh, able to overcome the, the height issue. And he's still not on a roster, but I wanted to bring him up because he was a prospect that I was relatively high on. Let's go to a team that was just jam-packed full of prospects. So again, when valuing or looking at these players, it's important to know who's playing and the way things change when players were shut down through games. The Detroit Pistons. Let's start with Jaden Ivey, who the numbers there for Ivey are, are pretty good. They're not they're not the greatest, but they're not bad. 18 points, four rebounds, seven assists, three and a half steals, but he shot 27% from three. Um, and he shot 41% overall. I thought his first game was relatively poor. His real tunnel vision, and he didn't, for a guy that was the fifth overall pick in his second season, who started a bunch of games as a rookie, I wanted him to do more. He had 32% usage, but in scoring only 18 points on a true shooting of under 50, is pretty bad across two games. There were enough flashes there to go, okay, there's a few little things, but he didn't do the things that we didn't show enough to me where I go, you are clearly, clearly too good. He was probably too good for Summer League, but he didn't blow me away. And that's that's a little bit of a worry. I was massively impressed with the Sar Thompson, though. It gets me a chance to do this. I think he's talking to you. Now, in that first game, he was just ignored. Like, Ivy wouldn't pass it to him. James Wiseman black-holed his way to whatever shots he was getting. And Asar would run into position and never get the ball. But every game that Asar played, the offensive confidence got better. But from the moment he stepped on the court, his passing vision was elite. His defensive positioning was elite. His basketball IQ was elite. I think he's an awesome player. The shooting, I don't know if it ever comes around. I'm not sure how much it matters. I think he's got that many athletic gifts and IQ gifts that I'm not sure it matters how good of a shooter he is. Now, we hear the comparison for him all the time, and I heard it so many times from people in person there of Andre Iguodala. Now, Andre Iguodala, the beginning of his career for the Sixers, was a pretty good scorer, like 18, 20-point-per-game type of scorer. I'm not sure Asar's ever that, especially not on this team. But he's a guy, and we saw, like with Amen Thompson, the defensive numbers, they translated. He averaged 13.5 points on only 21 usage, 10 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 2.3 steals, 1.8 blocks. He shot 47 from the field, 27 from three. The shooting is going to be a huge concern. And I don't think that he's going to be a redraft player this season because I think they'll start Cade, Ivy, Duran, Bogdanovich, and probably Isaiah Stewart. Now, I wouldn't do that. I'd start Bogdanovich at the four and Asar at the three. But I don't know. That's, I don't think that's what they're going to do. So Asar's going to probably play 20 minutes a night coming off the bench. He'll get some spot starts here and there, and minutes will ramp up as the season goes on. His ability to generate defensive stats, rebounds, and assists makes him super valuable for fantasy. The problem you're going to have is the deficiency in scoring and percentages. But as the games went on, he looked better and better. And when Ivy was out of the picture, he looked even better. The problem is, is in the regular season, Ivy's not out of the picture. Ivy's going to be there. So how does Asar touch the ball enough? He's going to do so many important things for winning. But I worry that it's going to be a little bit rocky from a statistical point of view uh, for fantasy for his first season. I still have him at number four in my Dynasty Rookie ranks. And that is uh, not changing. I was impressed with Jalen Duran. 29 minutes a night, 20 points, 9 rebounds, half a block, 68 from the field. He hit half a three a game. So he hit, a th- he hit one three on 50% shooting. Just taking that three is growth. But he was doing facilitation stuff. He was doing crossover dribbles. He was trying to expand his game. And he looked great. And there is not one person in the world. There probably is. And you might be watching this show who will come here and tell you, no, actually, I think James Wiseman is a better player. It is not remotely close to me. Duran needs to play 30-plus minutes every night. Whether Monty Williams believes in that, I don't know. 
whether Troy Weaver puts the pressure on Monty Williams. And I said people, I read some articles on The Athletic about the Pistons and a lot of people in the um, comments were like, man, they, they gave Monty Williams all this money. Um, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to interview his decision-making. And I, I put in my head, I didn't comment on it, but I put in my head, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they're like, Monty, we've given you all this money, but we want you to coach the team in the image that we want it to be. So you've got the money. The money's for you to come here. The money's for you to do these things, but you've got the money. Like, we want this to work. Make it work. That's probably a stretch, but I don't think paying him that amount of money necessarily means that, Monty, you do everything you want without any input from the front office. I don't know about that. And what that means is the scary shit of playing James Wiseman and Duran together or Bagley and Duran together, which is an absolute disaster because Troy Weaver, I don't think, knows how to build a team at all. I don't think he knows what he's doing. Las Vegas resident legend. Duran, really good. Loved it. And you look at James Wiseman's numbers and you'll think, ah, Wiseman was pretty good. But he wasn't. He was bad. He averaged 16 and 11. He shot 55 from the line on five and a half attempts. He had 27 usage. He shot 25% from three. He can't defend. He's a black hole in offense. He's Marvin Bagley the fourth. He puts up points and rebounds. No, one assist a game, no steals, half a three. He shouldn't play. He's their fourth best center. If you want to count Stewart in that mix, even though Stewart won't play a single second as a center this season. He's bad. But I'm waiting to hear the nonsense from Troy Weaver and the Pistons that have extended him on a you know, three-year, $40 million contract after they overpaid Marvin Bagley a year ago. He's bad. And the Wiseman-Durin pairings are bad. We'll see what they do. But I am shit-scared of the nonsense this team is going to pull. Marcus Sasser. He scored 40 points in the final game. That's great. Overall, though, I wasn't impressed. He scored 40 points, but averaged 15 points a game. Because the other games, he averaged 10 points a game. He shot 44% from the field. He shot 27% from three. He averaged three assists. He's 23. He's short. I don't know where he makes sense on this team when Jaden Ivey, Cade Cunningham, Asar Thompson, and also Monte Morris are ball handlers. What was the point of trading up to get an old, short point guard when it's not even close to a position of need? Now, I think he can be a good shooter. I think he can be a good point of attack defender. But the upside there is just completely limited. And outside of that one explosion where he struggled in the first quarter or so in that game where he scored 40, every other game, he just was invisible. He just didn't do anything good. I was not impressed, really, at all. Even though that was a good game. Jared Roden's on a two-way deal. Um, he's about to turn 24. I don't really know why they're keeping him around. A block a game, steal a game. Like, okay, fine. But nothing super exciting there. And then Malcolm Cazalon, another two-way uh, player. He averaged only eight points with a steal. I thought he had a couple of little moments. But overall, I think he's going to come here on a two-way and really not play much and probably end up back in Europe in a couple of years. Even though I don't mind him as a player. Those had a couple of interesting guys on their roster that we've seen play in the NBA before. Xavier Simpson. Oh, I haven't done this one for a while. Where is it? Simpson, eh? Uh, Kiefer Sykes. Um, they had Buddy Bayheim, one of the worst two-way contract players ever last season. And also rookie Tosan Ebwamwan. But none of those guys stood out. It's just hard to get reps and minutes on a team filled with as many prospects as the Pistons were. The Pacers also had a ton of prospects to talk about. Andrew Nempard. Um, I thought he looked really good. And this Pacers team, we'll talk more about this in the preseason and offseason. I don't know what they're going to do with their lineup. Halliburton's going to start. Miles Turner is going to start. 
Uh, who else? I don't know. There's Matherin. There's Healed. There's Nempard. Two of those three... Are, are, two of those three are going to start, I would guess. But which two? And there's someone else I'm missing there as well. Then there's Jarrus Walker or Obi Toppin at Powerford. There's a lot of interesting battles that have to take place here. I said here, Matherin, Nembard, Healed. Yeah, they're the three guys. Um, like who's who's going to come off the bench? Last year it was Matherin and Nembard and Healed started. So I don't know what's going to happen. But Nembard was great. 17 points, 7 assists, 2 steals. Only 22% from 3. But he looked too good for Summer League as a second round player. I don't think he's got real star upside, but he was pretty good. And watch his role is probably going to be more important in impacting guys like Heald and Matherin. Isaiah Jackson, 17 and 12 and a half with one and a half blocks, third year player. So he wanted to go and play in Summer League. So that's good news. 70% from the field, didn't hit a three. He looked a little bit too good for Summer League, but again, is he going to lock in as the backup center? Is Rick Carlisle going to do the let's play Jalen Smith, let's play Isaiah Jackson? Yeah, rotating. And Jackson's really not going to break out unless they trade Miles Turner. And I don't think that's happening anytime soon. I still believe in Jackson as a long-term dynasty stash guy, but it's just going to be more of the same for him this season, playing like 18, 19 minutes a night, I would guess. And I don't know what to make of Benedict Matherin, who's just turned just turned 21 as a top, top six, yeah, top six player last season. I would have hoped for a little bit more. He scored well, 22 points in 33 minutes, 29 usage. That's what he did last year. But can he do anything else? And so far, the evidence would suggest to me no. Four rebounds, three assists, half a steal, 35% shooting, 27 from three, 41 from two. And outside of a red-hot start last season, he fell away a lot. Maybe he is just going to be a sixth man again for this team. Because with the way that they have played in Summer League and last season, Andrew Nempard has been better. And Nempard is two and a half years older and doesn't have any anywhere close to the level of upside that Matherin does. But it's absolutely not a slam dunk for a number six overall limited shooting guard to be a star. Shout out to Ben McLemore or Nick Stauskas or any of these guys. So Matherin can score. He can draw free throws. That's a huge skill. And I think, I'm not, I'm not writing him up. I think he's going to take big steps forward this season. But it didn't really happen here outside of, again, the seven free throw attempts per game. And watching this team again, and ah, oh yeah, Matherin's playing. Like he didn't dominate as much as you would have hoped he would have. And then we get to the number eight pick, Jarris Walker. Hello. The thing on Walker was elite defense, the offense you worry about. That's exactly what we saw. I thought his defense was amazing. He averaged 1.3 steals, 1.3 triples, and 1.3 blocks. He had some massive game-changing sort of impact defensive plays. Big spike blocks. He guards unbelievably well. And the offense was really bad. 18% from three, 45% from two. He averaged 14 and eight. Um, on 34% shooting, he couldn't hit free throws. There were some real disaster games. I think it was one game where he was like one of nine or something. He had some really, really bad games in there, but it's going to be rough for him early on. He's going to be very low usage. He had 27 usage in summer league. He might get 17 on the main club. I would start him immediately. I think his defense fits pretty well next to Turner. The problem is I think Obi Toppin's positional value fits really well next to Halliburton. So I don't know what they do there. But Walker's not going to be playing 30 a night. He might be a 26-minute night, 25-minute night guy. He'll get some decent defensive numbers, but his block opportunities will be lower, playing with Miles Turner, I would think. I was impressed with the passing from him. Overall, I was impressed with Jarris Walker, but he didn't... The offensive questions weren't answered. So 
you know, I think we have to limit our expectations for him as well this season. Kendall Brown was on a two-way, then had a leg fracture last season. We didn't really see much of him. He, he was okay. Like 1.6 blocks in 19 minutes a game is definitely intriguing. He's a very good defensive player, but the shooting for him remains a problem. Even though he did hit 43% from three, he didn't really take many of them, and that's part of the concern there. And then first-round pick Ben Shepard played 30 minutes, averaged two and a half threes and 10 points, shot 39%. But if I was going to say that Matherin was invisible, Shepard was more invisible. He had a couple of little moments which were okay, but there's if we're going to talk about the path to minutes for shooting guards, there's none for him. Nempard, healed. Matherin. Neesmith thrown into that mix. Jordan Wara, who's a wing. I, I, I don't really know where Shepard's going to play. Isaiah Wong, 55th pick in the draft. He's 22. I don't really think that he's an NBA player. He flashed some good shooting at Miami and hit... 40% from three here as well, but yeah, he didn't really blow me away. Nor did Oscar Shibway, who's a very good rebounder. Seven rebounds in 13 minutes. He is an elite rebounder. But it's just everything else that I don't really believe in. But if there's ever a situation where Shibway, who's a two-way player, has to play rotation minutes, which is a stretch because Turner, Smith, and Jackson are all there, then he will get big rebounds and like a Biombo sort of style player. It's also Mojave King who only played 10 minutes a night. I think he's going to be playing... Uh, I think he's on, a, he's on two ways. He's going to the NBL. I can't remember. I was not really impressed with what he was able to do, unfortunately, for Mojave. Let's go to the Milwaukee Bucks. And after going through the Pistons and the Pacers, who were jam-packed full of prospects, the Bucks were not. Andre Jackson Jr., pick 36 in the draft from Connecticut. I don't know how he's going to score in the NBA. He averaged five points a game in 25 minutes. He shot 33%. The floaters look bad. The threes look terrible. He's a very good defender. He had some huge blocks. He defends well. He's an okay passer. He had six rebounds, two and a half assists. But the offense is disgusting. Think Andre Robertson. It's so bad. He's a smart player. He's big. He's got good size. He can defend so many guys. There's going to be moments where he's useful. But we're talking Matisse Thibel level offense, like worse maybe. And that's going to really limit what he's able to do. Chris Livingston was the last pick in the draft. They signed him to a four-year deal, I think, with some non-guarantees. Nothing that he did got me interested. I don't know what the point of that was. 11 points, 6 rebounds, shot 27% from 3. Absolutely no standout stuff from him, I didn't think. And then last year's first-round pick, Marjan Beauchamp, uh, yeah, look, if they're waiting for him to take over from Grayson Allen, I don't think it's going to happen this season. 13 points, 1-3, 4 rebounds, 26% shooting. That's the real problem for him coming out of the G League Ignite. The shot's just not there. He's got some okay sort of dribble moves and driving ability, but I'm not sure that translates to the NBA level. I was relatively disappointed. AJ Green was a two-way for them last season. They signed into a full contract. I don't know why. He played 10 minutes in summer league, 10 minutes a game. Didn't do anything exciting for me. Amari Moore, another two-way guy for them. Averaged two points. I mean, sure, he's not going to play much. And then there's Jason Gortman, who there was reports that he was a two-way, but he hasn't signed that yet. He's on an Exhibit 10, and he averaged five points a game. I thought he flashed a few little nice movement things and defensive IQ things, but overall, not that exciting. Drew Timmy's not an NBA player. Nico Mannion was really good. I thought Mannion played well, but in the end, he only averaged nine points on 28% shooting, but he looked good, especially early on. And overall, their team was just really disappointing. Nothing exciting at all. And that gets us through all of the Summer League recaps. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. You thumb it up and you leave those comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.